0: following program is designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. You should always consult with your physician before starting any treatment. We will be discussing the impact of parental alienation on families, today on Drinks and Drinks. Oh.
1: Welcome to Drinks and Shrinks, where we invite you to lay back, relax, and join us for an informal discussion on mental health with practicing therapists. I'm John Deku. And I'm Ingo Weigold. And I gotta say, I'm pretty excited for a conversation Oh today. no. <laughs> Why is that, John? Um, I don't know. It just feels like it's going to be a little bit different. And I like that, though. Um, But before we do, there's so many things to talk about. I think, first of all, I'm curious, it, it's been a few weeks since we've met up. I've been busy and I'll get to that soon but tell me how you've been Ingo
0: um I've been okay I mean I, I went on vacation for a little while I took a long weekend trip to the Caribbean to get some sunshine did you I yeah. didn't know yeah back in late February um it's March right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that might be a sign of how I'm doing I, I'm a little I'm tired of winter you know and and I think it's starting to wear on me and i if it wasn't for that trip for like sun sunshine for three or four days like i think i wouldn't have survived this year for some reason it felt really it felt like a, even though it wasn't cold or super snowy for some reason it felt like a hard winter and maybe it's because there wasn't much sun i'm not sure but here in the midwest i mean that is a thing so but overall i'm doing well i'm looking forward to spring i'm ready for you know april may
1: june to kick in so how are you um, doing pretty well today. Uh the uh, I've noticed that there can really be benefits to being a snowbird and mm-hmm. going somewhere. Florida. During going, to, going to Florida or whatever, Arizona or yeah. if you are daring enough to leave the country to find a sunny place too. I know that can be expensive. But I find that always helps me as well. Um mm-hmm. I was in Milwaukee a few weeks ago for a nice. wedding and I spent the day just walking around and as a Bulls fan i have to say that it's full of just a bunch of idiots that don't appreciate basketball um i only say that because their team is much better than the bowls mm-hmm. but it was a great time that's where i was last time we were supposed to be recording and ah, um
0: just i love milwaukee i think it's a cool town
1: yeah so it's really if if you listeners haven't been there it's really cool that they have these like old buildings that are seemingly from like i'm gonna guess the 1800s that are right next to like this, like stadiums and things like that yet mm-hmm. i haven't seen a city quite like that these old german pubs and things like oh yeah that. yeah super cool
0: downtown milwaukee and they've been renovating that
1: place for years and years and making it
0: newer and just like adding new things and but keeping the old yeah you know and i feel like wisconsin people <clears throat> although we're from illinois like there's they're kind of friendly and more easygoing than i think chicagoans you know so
1: um that's been my experience. I don't know if you felt that when you went to Milwaukee, but i am actually my family's from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Some I've been up there a lot, and um <laughs> one of my favorite memories of Wisconsin is I went to a Green Bay Packers game a couple years ago mm-hmm. and while I was up there, you know people get pretty drunk oh, yeah. and and you know there's this interesting change in dialect or accent that happens when you start to go up north you can get someone to canada a like little a? bit yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then but they're still very there's almost like a friendly tone to them and so i remember this one guy he was really drunk and he was yelling at someone else he said hey your buddy why don't you come on over here kick your ass yeah and i was like <laughs> that sounds friendly but also like threatening yeah <laughs> and so it was just very strange and that's uh-huh. kind of a. Uh, I don't know maybe I think they are friendly but maybe it's masked with uh just the tone of the voice t-
0: it could be that yeah it's it almost sounds Minnesotan you know or oh yeah when I when you go to can I was in uh Montreal last year and I, that sounds like somebody from like uh you know C- Canada oh yeah sure shoot. Scotia, eh? yeah
1: Saskatoon yeah yeah you do the accent well I <laughs> <laughs> like to, i like to <laughs> practice it yeah I remember another time I was uh, meeting some Canadians and I asked this girl where she's going to school and she said University of University of University of Saskatchewan Saskatoon mm. and I thought oh gosh that is a thick thick accent but yeah so you, you go up in Wisconsin and uh, not in Milwaukee you hear a lot much of it but once you start getting up to Green Bay you start to hear more and more but I'd agree people are pretty friendly they're always drunk too they do a lot Maybe of that's why they're drunk all the time mm. we should people, drink more oh okay that's the key you know we talked about for drinks and drinks having a drink or two while we record which we did early on at yes this place we so haven't we, done that in a i while. mean we
0: could do that here uh, except the way we've scheduled it i'm between <laughs> sessions here at work so i'm not sure ethically speaking i could drink with you john but you know maybe we could schedule a time where I, we you know we could do it and uh, i don't have anything or we can do it a different time i think it's a good idea especially now that the weather's going to be getting nicer we could try to do some of these outside mm. in the night in the sunshine That'd be nice. sit by the pool. Do you have a pool? No. <laughs> so we have to find a pool first. We have to find a pool. So if anyone wants to volunteer, any of our listeners, ah. <coughs> questions at drinksandtrinks.com. Let <laughs> us know where your pool is and maybe we'll show up. <laughs> it's in Saskatoon. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go there.
1: Oh, gosh. It's Canada can
0: still be pretty cold in the summertime for uh, swimming activities, yeah. I would say. So.
1: so why don't we jump into parental alienation? Uh, right? Yes. This is a. This is a... A subject that I really don't know that much about, and I've done a lot of learning this week, starting to prepare for this, but I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about us. Why don't we just jump into what parental alienation is?
0: Okay, so par- parental alienation, it's a term that, that's been thrown around. Um, so if you think about al- alienation, that word by definition is is meaning meaning isolating one thing from another right? So, and when you, in the terms of parental alienation, it's been defined as a form of manipulative estrangement induced by an alienating parent, and that causes usually the children in this case, to not want to have a relationship with whichever parent is being targeted by the alienating parent. Um, And that's typically done through exaggeration, false information said about said parent, and there sometimes it can be very subtle and sometimes it can be blatant like you know your parent your parent parent a says parent b is abusive and sometimes parent a says that would be direct right it's parent a parent b Parent A can say about parent b you don't really like that parent b do you like so do you see like there's a subtle difference there but they're very similar in in the same respect so I think there's ranges of parental alienation, and some are more blunt than others. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's the definition of it. Mm -hmm. So,
1: Yeah, and we are, (coughs) I think, um, we were kind of prefacing this before we started recording, and I think this is a subject you know a lot about because we have a friend, Scott, who writes for Counseling Today, Mm -hmm. and he wrote an article about you and your experience with parental He alienation. did. It's uh, If
0: you're looking for the article, it's from, from March this year. March, I think it was published on March 1st in the magazine and then March 9th online. And the title is, um, this is for counseling today, it's called Child Abuse in Disguise, The Impact of Parental Alienation on Families. And I'll link this in
1: the show notes.
0: But yeah, Scott was able to interview me
1: Um in the difficult separation you've had and the parental alienation you've had from your kids.
0: Yeah. So it it's you know, we're friends, Scott and I, and he was able to get me to be a lot more vulnerable than I expected to. And I struggled with this after the fact because I'm I, I had a moment where I'm like, Holy shit, what did I just tell you? you know, and because we're friends, I trusted him to write this article in a way that was, you know, um helpful to other people. Like I was telling you when we when we were wrestling with how we're gonna approach this subject, I got into this field, and I'm assuming you did too, because I wanna help people. And I think this is an area, because of my firsthand experience, and how the fact that, like, for so many years, I could never get anyone to believe me that this is what was happening. I wanted to have something, some way, and this is, uh, for me, this is just a starting point, because I, I plan to continue to, to explore this further, um, to help people who are struggling with alienation from their children in particular. And give them uh, almost a, a story that they can connect to with resources. And Scott did a fantastic job, kind of weaving in um, my story and also support supporting c- from other psychologists and experts on the subject. And they gave some resources. So if you're going through this or you feel like you're being it doesn't matter. It, it's not always women who alienate the the men or the men. Sometimes it's male female sometimes it you know maybe it's a, a, a lesbian relationship and they have a child it, it doesn't matter it's just person to <coughs> person really yes so but yeah the article i mean it, it's been hell for for me and continues to be in some ways the last 7 8 years um and he writes in the article that it starts often before a divorce even happens and that, in my case that is true there's just things that happened in my connection with my children that looking back on now, you're like, wow, that, that, was,
1: that, that is a form of like trying to alienate me. So, you know, if, if I may, before we go any further, I wonder if part of why, this is just my own opinion, but part of why it was hard for people to understand you is because the language, or I should say believe you, is because the language that you use to describe the pain that you're going through is legitimate, but is often overstated Like, What do you you mean? People might say, like, if you were to say, like, I think I'm being manipulated. I think that there's, like, some real clinical problems going on here. Mm -hmm. I think there's parental alien. I think that there's abuse. Like, I think that's language that, like, I can open up really any form of social media and people are going to complain about. And I think sometimes legitimately and sometimes they don't actually know what they're saying. Does that make sense to you? Can you... I'm not sure. Like, just before I got here, I was, you know, scrolling. I like to scroll through mental health TikTok just to see how upset I can yeah. get at things. <laughs> and nice. I saw people really, in, I, we've talked about the word gaslighting, and like everybody was misusing it. Mm-hmm. Nobody actually is using the word correctly with what it means. I think people are just saying, well, if you disagree with someone and it hurts their feelings, that's not gaslighting. And I'm wondering if, like, you, like, not that you use the word gaslight, but you might use other terms like manipulation Mm -hmm. that i think is also used i would say sometimes too frivolously that may then demean or water down the actual impact of the word Um, and people might say like oh every in my opinion I'd just like well everybody feels manipulated but in your case it was like one of the things that scott's story did is it just illuminated holy cow like it it, this goes very deep here
0: yeah i mean i mean uh, hmm I'm not sure how to answer your question,
1: other than it's <laughs> an observation.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you, and I think, I think the struggle for me in particular was is that in our state, Illinois, and I can't speak to other states, uh, the court system heavily favors, I think, moms, and and rightfully so because um, mothers should typically, you know, they give birth to the children, so there 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 is there should be consideration for that factor, the physical
1: yeah. act of they gave birth to the child, right? And historically, their voice wasn't heard.
0: Yes. So I don't think it's, it's... I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying I think there's a heavy lean towards women in our state. And men don't typically get consideration that is similar to women when it comes to, like, child custody and things. And I think some of that's probably changing. But in my experience early on, it just didn't feel like... It was equal, you know, and the struggle is is that you're you're already kind of working against perception a lot of times. So when you go to try to prove some of this, men have stigma, right? So if there's behavior from the alienating parent, um, such as say maybe they talk to school officials and they say bad things about you, you know, dad's abusive, dad's doing this, dad's doing that it's hard to overcome that because you're guilty until proven innocent, right? Like, so that, that's, that was a challenge in, in my situation. But let me just give you some, some behaviors that um, are common for alienating parents to engage in. Things like making the um, parent appear dangerous or abusive, um, talking poorly about that parent, um, sharing information with the child, children in, in my case, about a potential custody case that's going on, and allowing them, it, even when it doesn't matter the age, especially if they're younger, to see court documents and things like that. Telling children that you're you're uh, telling the children that your father doesn't love you. He never loved you. Mm-hmm. He didn't want you. He wasn't around. Um, going around and telling everyone they know, including school officials, doctors, whoever, that dad's bad, you know, dad is not present, dad abuses the children, Um, um, sharing issues like with the children, that the conflict that exists between the two adults, highlighting those conflicts in a way that paints one person as, as guilty and the other one as innocent. And oftentimes with alienating parents, they project their behaviors that for example if they're being abusive to their um the two like say the in my case the female to the male is being nasty and not co-parenting and causing all kinds of problems and everything else they instead of saying i'm the one doing that they'll say dad is the one doing all those things and and telling the children that that's the case like not not being truthful like stretching the truth gaslighting Mm -hmm. maybe is one of them well uh, it's it's manipulative for sure um not allowing the children to have a relationship with that person that doesn't, that that is uh, private in a sense. So if there's phone calls or communication, they monitor that all the time. Or if the child is trying to call the other parent, they might be in the same room all the time and like listening and, and, you know, those kind of things. And some of this can be extreme, like where children get, they try to take the children, hide the children, don't pick them, don't them for the parenting time all kinds of things like that so these are just some general
1: yeah. um yeah things that happen so. so some of the things i think to like draw out more detail that could happen is like a parent could sit down their child and say something like your dad or your mom doesn't actually love you they're a sick person right and you can't fall for their trap and then one of the things that i was really learning as we prepared for this is that then gets there's almost like you were saying before before we started recording that there can be a secret and that's what i think starts to get things to be real slimy is whenever there's like alcoholism Mm -hmm. or parental alienation or even like abuse or sexual abuse there's often this sense of there being a secret like yes you and i know this but you don't tell other people this kind of thing and the language is like then when you go to see someone else, the person that's being told all these lies are then believing it, or they feel like they can't share it, or they'll be punished, I'm gonna guess, even sometimes if they don't, because they say, well, I know mom or dad has my back, and I can't trust my other parent, or I can, but I'm not so sure, because she takes care of me, and Mm so I don't really know what to do with it, and it just sounds like it's so, bad for the kids mental health.
0: Yeah, it puts them in a no win situation because at, at the heart of like all human beings, they want to love their parents. E- they want love from their mom, love from their dad or however. We let's just assume moving forward we are we're talking about traditional heterosexual couples, but sure. for, as far as I'm aware of, it still requires, you know, sperm and, and an egg. Yeah. So I'm looking at it from that sense. And you c- they want love from both caregivers. The, so whether it's whatever. I, I don't want to get into weeds on that. So I, I hope I'm I'm covering all the grounds of yeah. being politically. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just gonna say mom and dad in this case because sure. it's whatever. So they wanna they want love from mom and dad. And when one person says, like in my case, mom, that dad is bad, it creates dissonance in the child's inner world and they and they start to they start to have issues with emotional distress because mom says dad's bad and he's all these bad things but then the child goes to dad's house and dad is not that way in that environment and he is loving and he's kind and all these things and he's supportive and and the child starts to question their own internal like sense of the world and it can create like this sense of confusion where they don't know where their actual emotions are anymore and that can lead to wanting to please one or both parents. You know, especially the alienating parent. It c- there can be this pattern where the children go to that parent's home and they say and do whatever will make that parent happy, which is usually a child agreeing with their that pa- alienating parents like if they if that parent says dad's abusive even though the child knows when they go to dad's house that's not the case, they'll say yes and then they'll oh, find reasons to agree because that makes m- mom happy. And that cal- helps the inner child's world be calmer. Does, am, am I making sense? Yeah,
1: there's, there's stability in the sense of like... Solidarity? Yes. Yeah. Right. And the, one of the things I was learning about too is that like when one parent says the other one is abusive or evil yes. or unloving, and then the child goes over to spend time with that caregiver, and then the parent doesn't engage with the same ferocity ferociousness where well, i guess whatever the word might be is isn't engaging with it then it almost gives the kid who doesn't have the same critical thinking skills they just kind of default to well m- this one parent was really animated when they said that the other one is abusive mm-hmm. and that one isn't engaging in the same way they're not defending themselves they're not trying to prove me wrong so therefore like i could believe one who's just being quiet and saying, I don't wanna engage with this. Or I could believe the other one who's constantly telling me and trying to guide me in a certain direction. And so it's just natural, I think, for a child to then believe the parent that is telling them all these different kinds of things. Now, of course, let's just, let's just, as we, before we go any further, we need to really put a big red flag across all of this to say there definitely can be cases where other parents can be abusive. Yeah, right? of course. And and we're not saying that those do not exist. We're talking strictly about when there is a healthy parent, but they're being alienated because one parent is telling them that they don't want the child to see them and they're manipulating Mm -hmm. the child. Yes, Um, But yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this idea going back to like when the one parent doesn't play by the same rules of getting angry and spreading lies, then that parent is often being then the victim.
0: Well, you know, I, um, I guess I'll speak from personal experience. So before my children hit adolescence, I think I was really, my approach was, so the original approach was, I guess, I thought the marriage was not great and it was in a good environment for the children. So I thought if I removed myself from that situation through divorce, that they would be better off, right? And for some time, a few years after the divorce, while this alienation was increasingly getting more, more prevalent, I would almost take that approach. And, it, and I didn't feel like a victim of it necessarily, as much as I thought I was protecting my children. So I would say things like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's fine. You guys are kids. Like, it's going to be okay. When they would come with, with, to me with these situations or strong emotional th- statements about whatever their mom had said. And I thought that it was the right approach, and maybe it was at that time. But mm-hmm. when I noticed that, that started to create more dissonance. Even because m- now, as they're getting older, closer to adolescence, and even like teen years, um, mom is saying all these things and doing all these things that say dad's bad. Now they're starting to form their own opinions about like how they feel about things, and dad's saying is not saying that that's not true. He's na- he's not saying anything. He's like not you know, engaging with that. So now they're left wondering, like, can I trust either parent? Because mom says something that I, I don't feel is true, and dad is not defending himself and saying it's not true. So then where's the truth? Mm-hmm. But then when I started to tell them the truth more, like counterbalancing what was, like some, they would come and say things, and I would be like, well, that's not true. That's not what happened, right? Um, example being, like, there was a disagreement between mom and dad, and it was mom who was being unreasonable and all this stuff, and she would tell them that I'm the one being unreasonable and causing. And I would say, well, that's not what happened. You know, that it, here's what happened. And so now, in, now we're at a place where that's been going on some some more. But that also creates internal distress because now we're we're the, the. I don't know if I'm putting this like in a way that makes sense. No matter what, when this is happening, the children are the casualties of this situation because. We have two adults who cannot get along for whatever reason, mm-hmm. right? And the kids are caught in the middle of that crossfire.
1: And so, they're the weapons
0: too. Correct. And even though I I never weaponize them by pointing out the truth, even though that's that's what's important is truth, right? That still causes them and causes them immense emotional distress. So mm-hmm. I don't know if this is even the right thing to do, but it feels right. Yeah. Because it ultimately as humans, we're going to struggle and it's good to help build re- resilience. And I don't want to lie to my kids, but I recognize that in telling them the truth, it creates more distress. So it's, it's almost like a no win situation. The only way this gets better and all the research you read, which is why in Illinois, I don't know if other states do it. When you get divorced, you have to take co-parenting classes because it's proven time and time again, that the number one indicator for good emotional outcomes and, and healthy lives for the children is if the two parents who get divorced, co parent if they do that, the kids are actually fine with divorce. Mm. They they don't do any worse than if the family had stayed together. If the parents would just co-parent. Mm. But in my situation, we don't have that. So
1: you know, it, it's it's yeah. It's just a generally, not even as to say be friendly relationship between the parents, but like an amicable, cordial, cordial. 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 Yeah, that's a good word. Yes. Yeah. If you can just be cordial and coordinate. Yeah. It helps things with kids so much more, but I think it just goes to show that not even with your case necessarily like it there's so much pain like people go through with divorce that they're just it not is. willing to see past their emotions for what's better with the kids.
0: No, divorce is difficult and f- I've read somewhere a long time ago that divorce is secondary in emotional distress only to the loss of a child. It is that yeah, it guess. is that you know painful to go through and I I would agree because it and and you think like okay so the children realize that the marriage the family was not working well so then their parents do something like divorcing but it's still not better so imagine as a child like you're like how does this ever get better and they just want to be kids they just want to love each parent they want to live their lives and you know my son recently said you know he has a friend in 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 middle school he's like Why can't I just be like that friend? Like Mm. his parents are together and he gets along and he doesn't have to deal with any of the stuff I've had to deal with. And you know, what do I say to him? It's, I'm sorry, like we're trying. I'm sorry it's like this for you. All I can do is listen and try to be there, right?
1: I want to give him a hug.
0: Yeah, no, I feel bad for him because he's like stuck in the middle, you know? And this is this alienation. So like the alienating parent causes like this domino effect no matter what the parent who's being alienated does, it, the children are always byproducts of they're, they're casualties of this. Right. So
1: be- because when they're made as weapons, they then become a casualty as well. Correct. Paradoxically, because they're
0: kids. Yeah. They ca- they can't handle this kind of thing. Even adult. This would be hard for an adult to, yeah. to man navigate if they were stuck in the mid- like being triangulated and, and manipulated and all kinds of things. You know? Oh my gosh!
1: I mean, it's just hor- this is why. I- Divorce, like you said, is such a hard thing, but especially like you're saying when you're a child and you have to somehow, or you're expected to have like the ability to emotionally regulate, which they don't, and to think reasonably, yes. which they don't, and to communicate their needs, which they don't, to get through this kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. horrible. And if I may, I want to I move a little bit in the direction of like what do therapists do with sure. this kind of thing? Because one of the things that I found really interesting is how bad therapists are
0: they're terrible at it.
1: At this, at identifying it, and yeah. I'm guilty too because I haven't had it much in my career. But there's been a few times where I fell exactly into the trap mm-hmm. that other yes. uh, that has been discussed in the research and this article. And Distortion like traps, as this article calls them. Yeah. Yes. This I and I've had parents who will come to the office, and I think he, uh, as therapists we're trained to be very observant of emotionality and people who have a better ability to regulate their emotions, I think we see them as having like a greater sense of control or autonomy over themselves Mm -hmm. and maybe even sometimes like being wiser in some way. Yeah. Um, And so when we see a parent who's really collected and doing well and communicating effectively and saying that the other one is not so healthy I could see many of us being persuaded to say, wow, this person kind of has it together. I wonder if their story is trustworthy. Now, I wouldn't just take it at face value, but then on the flip side, if I meet the other parent and they're like a mess, but they're a mess, understandably, because they're saying, no, 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 they're a liar and I'm going to lose my kids and I can't handle this. Then, like, of course you'd be a mess, but then to, to me, I just see one person who's stabilized and one person who's at least emotionally at that moment not stable and so you kind of have to you, you're naturally start to form judgments about you these do. things yeah and then sometimes that can even be influenced towards the children too which is the wrong thing to do right
0: well i'll say based on my personal experience there's a and i don't know if i've said this on the podcast before at a previous episode any time as a clinician that i feel the overwhelming urge to protect one of the parties. I of course listen to that and make and, and attend to that, but I also always keep in mind the alternative viewpoint possibility, mm-hmm. that that might be that they are ultra manipulative and able to persuade. And just because one person comes in and seems emotionally unstable and is defending themselves and doing all these things, it doesn't mean that the person who's more calm and seem, seems to be more rational is the one that is, is actually that. So, Mm -hmm. and with alienation, what happens is, is like the alienating parent says and does all these things. And then this person that's being alienated is like activated and they're anxious and they're trying to defend themselves. And like in my case, you know, because of what I said regarding males, I constantly felt like I had to prove myself to people. Like I'm not this person that this person's talking about. And even to the point where imagine like, you start to question your own sanity, like, am, am I like this? Is this really me? Like, wait, but one person says all these things, but I have all these friends, I have all these people, and now that creates dissonance in, in the adult that's being alienated, and then they may come into our office and seem somewhat, you know, I don't know, crazy for lack of a better word, because they are wrestling internally with that. So you have to, as a clinician, I think you have to be real. And this is not just for alienation. I think it's generally anytime you're dealing with families or relationships, you got to be mindful. Like if you have the, like, it's some weird form of countertransference or something. Like if you feel like you need to save one person and you, from the other person, I think nine times out of ten, there's something else going on, and you just need to dig a little
1: deeper. We, let's slow that down a little bit, because so if you feel the need to like defend a person, yes, like and you're saying like I think this person is a victim, or I yes. think this person is correct and right yeah. and accurate. There you go,
0: misidentifying the victim. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's the thing. Who's really the victim in this situation? But
1: uh, what you're saying is we don't know, and we can't trust our instincts with it necessarily.
0: No, because the other part of this is from my own research, and I think this article talks about this a little in uh, other articles, oftentimes alienating parents also have a personality disorder or other mental health issues going on that lends itself to being more manipulative or being able to, to, to navigate their environment in a way that is, they're like master manipulators in a sense. So it's like if they're good at doing that, we're human too, just because we're therapists doesn't mean we can't be manipulated. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm always on, on edge about that. And so I guess I'm, what I'm saying is, is like, just because you think one person is the victim, unless you've seen it firsthand, like it's easy if somebody hits somebody else in front of you and you're like, okay, when that person hit the other person, there's the victim. Clearly that's the victim. Clearly that's the victim. But in these cases, it's not clear. And oftentimes the initial reaction, the person we think is the victim is actually the perpetrator.
1: And they could be putting on a show for the one Correct. hour once a week that we yeah, might meet with them. exactly.
0: So that's why I think this is really hard
1: because the court system
0: in particular hasn't, they really don't have any way to, I mean, police this in some sense even yet. The terminology is only starting to kind of trickle into the court system and judges and things are more aware of this now than they ever have been, but there's still like such a small understanding of yeah. it. And from what I'm, from, uh, apparently
1: this might be end up in the dsm
0: at some point you know yeah
1: but one of the things that i was reading about is like they there's uncertainty as to who is going to be uh, able to diagnose it because it could be in the dsm which would then be the assumption that counselors and therapists psychologists can do it but then one of the things that i think some people were arguing is that it should be more of custody evaluators but I think the one of the benefits of mm. diagnosis is that it allows us to apply labels, which then much more quickly provides understanding and education as to what the thing is. So if it's in the DSM, like if there was no trauma section, we'd probably just be calling people both anxious and depressed. Mm-hmm. But now that we have a whole section based on trauma, we have a much better understanding as to how to identify it, how to communicate it. And then how to provide help for people because now we have a label for it. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, this sounds like, I mean, this is just my knee-jerk reaction. I haven't thought about this well enough. But, like, why shouldn't we have a maybe, like, a Z-code for parental alienation, too? Um, Z-codes being, like, there's this section towards the end of the DSM that says, like, it's kind of, like, additional areas of concern. Yeah. Like, parent-child relationship issues or malingering which would be deliberately lying about your symptoms in order to get like a diagnosis or something and i think parental alienation could be a really useful z code to help us say like here's the diagnosis that needs treatment but then we have to be aware of this element here too that allows us to communicate like if you told me that i was working with a family and you suspect parental alienation like Bang right away, I know I have to be uh, very aware of some elements too mm-hmm.
0: I like it i think I think it I think that m- may very well happen in the near future because this is more and more prevalent in this day and age it's 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 very common and again i I just want to go back to, like it's the children who are the victims of this. It isn't one parent or the other. the children are the victims in this scenario, and that's the saddest part because the amount of damage that's done in in these situations is unmeasurable, you know, and oftentimes alienated children become more susceptible to having their own mental health issues, you know, whether it be depression, anxiety, or even a personality disorder of their own, you know, so it's, it's, it's not a good situation, you know.
1: What what kind of, um, like, outcomes have you seen for people who go through this kind of for children like has it been anxiety depression or like any particular things more than others
0: yeah I think anxiety depression anxiety and depression are big ones more so I would say more so anxiety um, mood any dysregulation of mood you know in general like having um, in the case of like middle schoolers adolescent age things they may struggle with forming identity because they get into a pattern of trying to please and they don't listen to their own emotions and they have no sense of self because their their identities wrapped up into everything the alienating parent says you mm-hmm. know so and, and you and I know that that's like a precursor for uh, identity you know <laughs>
1: personality personality disorder, disorder yeah. yeah so
0: it's and which is not good you don't you know so um which we'll
1: talk about more in another episode yeah. too right and a concept we talked about a while ago was attachment. Yes, right? And maybe we can give a very quick summary of what attachment is being the general sense of care and closeness and trustworthiness to caretakers. And your attachment is what kinds of relation, what kind of relationship do you have to those caretakers? And then what has research has shown is that as you go forward in life your attachment style the way that you've connected to these caretakers really influences the way that you connect mm-hmm. to other people and i can't help but imagine this could sometimes really shake up parental alienation could really shake up attachment in children yeah i mean what are your thoughts on that
0: i would say yes because it's some it's a form of betrayal in a sense and you know, I don't anecdotally speaking, my children are still younger, so I'm not sure and I'm I'm a therapist, so I'm and they're in therapy, so it's like I hope the I hope that, you know, this is something that's resolvable and we've already seen some progress in that area. But I wonder like if, if I'm sure there are many situations where this is not being treated in real time. So I, I wonder the effects of it, you know, later in life. I imagine people who have gone through the children who've gone through this grow into adults who don't trust interpersonal relationships and maybe have their own uh, dysfunctional form of attachment or they're very anxiously attached. we not there's there's r- probably a low probability of probably a low
1: probability. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm with there's, you. There's
0: a low probability um, of having secure attachments unless they do intense personal work, maybe through therapy or whatever. Because this creates such dissonance, in, you know? It's like, you have peop- people in your lives who you're supposed to be able to trust and that you know, are truthful with you and care about you, but they've put you in harm's way, in a sense, emotionally, by this process. So it's like, I don't know, I, I, you know? Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm just trying to imagine for myself, and maybe the listener can join me, like, can you imagine being told by someone you really trust that someone else you trust is really not good for you and that they're really trying to hurt you. Yeah. And then later figure out from that person that that first person was actually trying to hurt you. Well it's like, well then who the hell do I trust? You know? And and these are your their parents too. Right. And it's just so shaking for the child and so un so much instability. It's like like you said, that the children really are the victims here too. Because mm-hmm. like it's not like you and I are being you know therapists and adults we get to make choices yes. freely where we have legal responsibility to choose who we want to believe or otherwise but like these are kids you know it's they
0: right i mean and just take it a step further it's like how do they trust themselves ever because uh, yeah they trusted the parent who was telling them lies and then they find out that that was not true and then now they're like what does that mean for my trust meter i i i can't trust my trust meter because i'm i was wrong about the most important you know relationship in
1: my life yeah, i was wrong about you and then i was wrong about you now right. can i who who do i trust right about this cuz cuz par- the alienating parent was actually
0: the perpetrator and the child thought they were the victim and vice versa for the alienated parent so you're like you know who do i trust here right and that creates you know as you and i both know many of the people if not all of the people that we work with have internal distress because of their environment or whatever's happened to them and they they struggle internally with things and we help them to kind of build congruence right in their yeah. life
1: so and, and that actually i'm sorry if i cut you off but right like this 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 is something that i think i see I, i'm wondering with some people as they get older hmm. is some people who, who like you said have anxiety or depression maybe if any listeners connect with this too, i suggest you go seek some counseling for it, is there's this idea that I don't wanna make a choice because I'm gonna get it wrong. And so yeah. I want other people to do so. And a funny yeah. thing that I've seen is like, when you ha- when you look at a, p- bunch, a room of people, maybe three or four people, who have to decide where to go out for dinner, mm-hmm. where do you wanna go? Ah, I don't really care. Where do you wanna go? Uh, now no, you pick. Nobody wants to make a decision because they might get it wrong and they might upset other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if, not all the time, but if something like parental alienation can make kids question themselves so much that they're refusing to make choices or they default to i don't trust myself so i want someone else to get it right because if i do it i could get it wrong and heaven forbid i get it wrong rather than the 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 bigger truth is like we're definitely going to get it wrong sometimes Mm -hmm. but that's part of life. You have to kind of accept that that's part of it. Or it's not your fault if you suggest a restaurant and the food sucks, right? Yeah. You didn't choose it. You just did the best that you could. You have to be more reasonable. Yeah. Makes total sense. Hmm. Makes total sense. So there are some factors I want to kind of share that come from uh, a book that was referenced in the article Parental Alienation The Handbook for Mental Health and Legal Professionals. Hmm. Um, some. Uh, Factors that we that might be seen for parental alienation are contact refusal, like is there a child who is saying, "I don't want to see dad," "I don't want to see dad," or "I don't want to see mom," or again going to this isn't just h- heterosexual relationships. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see the other caregiver. Uh, that's could be a sign of a ab- actual abuse, legitimate abuse, or as we're seeing parental alienation. Mm-hmm. Um, The previous relationship, did the child previously have a positive relationship with the rejected parent? I'm guessing in your case, you had a pretty healthy relationship with your kids.
0: I thought so, yeah, absolutely,
1: still do. Yeah, (laughs) you're a good dad. Thanks. Lack of abuse, is there any evidence of abuse that we might have seen and we can account for? Alienating behaviors, is the preferred parent engaging in alienating behaviors? And child symptoms are there symptoms and i'm guessing this could even allude to like mental health symptoms as a result of the discussion of the abuse rather Mm -hmm. than the evidence of the abuse right right? like that this other parent is very abusive you shouldn't be around them and that's really disturbing the child Mm -hmm. versus like they actually are being abused and here's the things that we can see
0: right yeah the the they call it the five factor model right Mm -hmm. um I think those are good starting points. I th- I think looking at it from that through a clinical lens like that that's a good starting point. Sometimes the all of these are present, sometimes there's only a couple, but I think I would encourage any therapist who's who's working or if or if you're a, an alienated parent for example, encourage whoever you're working with to investigate. You know, I maybe Trust but verify, like if one parent says this is happening, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and assume maybe this might be true, but I'm not gonna make, it, this is not law. I'm gonna keep digging and trying to understand and learn because a lot of times the children, even depending on how old they are, they might have very strong opinions about the parent who's, uh, the, the parent who's being alienated because the other that alienating parent has done such a good job of getting them to like toe the party line and mm-hmm. say things so it, they may or may not be true, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just, I think the big hallmark is that la- number five, the, fu- the child symptoms. Mm-hmm. If the children are anxious, depressed, emotionally dysregulated, seem confused, if there's distressing behavior, teenage behaviors could be things like um, suicidal ideation, could be, you know, cutting, thing, anything like, you know, we see in our offices on a day-to-day basis. If there's also... Um, conflict between the parents and that's going on, it could be that there's some of that happening. Because ultimately, again, the children are in the middle and they can't handle this. You have two adults who can't get along. And there's a lot of conflict. When the kid is in the middle, they're getting it on both sides and they may start acting out or dealing with it in unhealthy ways. So, mm-hmm.
1: It's making me wonder like, how many cases of teenagers or children struggling could be due to... Uh, I mean, there's abuse, there's like yeah. sexual violence, Yep. there's negligence, there's bullying, but now another like card that we have to draw could be parental alienation. At least one that I'm learning about is like, that could be a factor here too.
0: And you know, this is common in divorce situations, but I think it's also possible to have this happen when the relationship is intact. So if mom and dad are not fun- uh, functioning on a high level, if there's a lot of conflict in the marriage, mm-hmm. I think I think we just have to it's hard because it's it's not like a clear oh you came into my office you got a broken leg let me fix that this is not like that this is this is one of those where you go to the doctor and you have weird symptoms and nobody knows what's wrong with you and they do 20 tests and then nothing right so you have to keep as therapist I think and I think because I've gone through this I have a radar for it but I, I I'm I'm sure I miss things all the time, Mm -hmm. you know? So
1: yeah, and this is uh, still quite new to me and I'm really learning a lot about this Mm -hmm. too. I don't know if there's another subject we can think about of why, just to speculate, why would a parent alienate another parent? Fear of abandonment. Could you elaborate on that?
0: That parent might fear, especially in cases of divorce, if one party left the other party, they may feel abandoned by that person. And if the children also love that other person, they may fear that the children will in turn abandon them. It could be anger towards that other parent, spitefulness, mm-hmm. things like that. Feeling like there should be justice. Right, right. So, uh, and weaponizing the children to harm that other person, you know, saying, you know, I'm going to make that person feel bad because and make their children not like them anymore. So, mm-hmm. those are just some off the, I don't know if there's
1: more, but. I'm sure. And I'd I like us maybe to speculate here too, to think like, like yeah, I agree. There, there, could be a lot of anger. I would wonder like what the emotions could be behind it. But in terms of like personality disorder kinds of things, um, assuming there's a, there's I think ten different personality disorders that are in the DSM, and so probably gearing more towards Cluster B, which again we'll talk about maybe in another episode. But there could be a desire for managing their own emotions mm-hmm. and finding their own stability by inflicting some kind of pain or getting regulation through other people and that if I can get these kids to be closer with me then that means I'm going to have a stronger sense of connection and I will feel better yeah versus like the better thing for the kids is like what you said earlier we know through research that when both parents are involved like 90 percent 95 percent of the time it's really what's best for the child. And we should be defaulting to that. But then when you're too blinded maybe by your own needs, and wh- that could be due to past things, it could be due to the relationship or otherwise, we then get consumed with trying to meet those needs instead of helping mm-hmm. what's best for the kid.
0: I agree. Uh, I, it makes, makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the alienating parent, if they are not getting help, it's going to be very difficult to stop this. So, um, because I agree with at the root, it's probably that uh, in, in a lot of different situations, but if that parent refuses to go to like a therapist and work on that need for having that regulation externally, you know, we ter- talk talked about external versus internal locus of control. Like, I don't know if we've said that before on
1: the show or not. don't you define it really quick.
0: Well, like getting your validation or from the outside world. So like simple, and I don't, I, simple would be like a entertainer who's like a singer for example feeling feeling good about themselves based on how many people love that person and how much adoration they get from the world and if they get that they feel fulfilled and if they don't get it they're depressed versus being someone who um internally has a sense of self and confidence and who they are and the outside world doesn't affect them as much or they
1: don't have a need
0: that's how i look at it well
1: i yeah i think i think it's more of internal versus external esteem like where you get your value from when i think of the phrase locus of control i think of like the world is screwed and i there's no way it's ever going to be any better like or I'm never going to be happy again because my girlfriend left me. Right. Like, th- who actually decides how, how happy you are? In this case, you're putting it all on your girlfriend. Who girlfriend, left yeah. Me, right. As opposed to, like, well, that really hurts, but like, if there's other things I could do to fulfill my life. You know, I can try to take control of my own happiness and my emotions. Oh, okay.
0: That's a better definition. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Or um, I think uh, even like when people say, well, we talked about this in another episode, people say, I can't do it versus I won't do it. I would say that's externalizing your control because you're saying like, well, you you can, you just really don't think it's something you'd be willing to do, be very, very difficult to do. And I think part of our job is to, in the lightest way possible, challenge people to be more responsible for their choices. Because when you don't know your choices, then you're limiting yourself to what you can do in your life as well. Right.
0: So whew, uh, that's <laughs> a lot. We'll, we'll put the article in the show notes. I think we've probably exhausted this subject at this point, mm-hmm. but maybe there'll be more to come with this. Um, ultimately, I think that to bookend this, what I'd like to say is if, if you're in this situation, either as a parent who's alienating, a parent who's being alienated, or a child, I don't know who's listening to it as a child, but if you can find some way to get help and if all three of those buckets are are working on themselves, I think this can get better. It can also get better with just one or two areas. So ideally, the two parents get go to therapy, they figure out the way to reconcile their differences, and they, this stops, and then the children will feel better. But it can also work if just one parent does it, and or maybe even the children. You know, And if you need some resources for that, I think this article has a bunch of different things that you can start looking at you're always welcome to email and ask us questions yeah at drinksandtrinks.com, right yeah um do you have anything to add to this subject matter i, I
1: do because uh, the one thing one more thing i want to say before we get to guilty leisure is uh that i think a challenge that would come for the alienating parent who's the one who's doing the alienating when they go to counseling is i think it's very unlikely that they are going to be honest about their goals which is I'm an alienating parent and I have this urge and I want to stop doing it, right? And if they're not- That's probably not their goal. <laughs> no, I I, c- I cannot envision uh-huh. many, if any, people doing that. And the challenge is, for us as therapists, is the research shows that when we have a goal and that does not match with the client's goal, it is one of the most powerful ways to rupture the therapeutic alliance, meaning right. the sense of trust that you have And because what ends up happening is the therapist is going to be encouraging things for what they feel like is the problem when the client themselves does not see it as a problem. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's like you should go exercise more and the client doesn't think that they should, but you think that they should, like, that can hurt the relationship. Mm -hmm. If it's something as powerful as alienation, like, that could rupture and destroy the relationship. And so I don't know how beneficial counseling is going to be unless the person is willing to do that or unless you go to someone who really can see these things and communicate it effectively Mm -hmm. to the client too though i i think there's something bigger going on here i'm wondering if you're alienating the other parent here and then how are they going to react they're going to get defensive and upset as angry as as, i mean it's a huge probably never come back probably (laughs) yeah i think i would be that way if somebody said it
0: i think the way uh, just a, a way a therapist who is suspecting alienation by a parent could try to approach this is through the children in a way of trying to, you can say the same thing to both parents and something along the lines of like, it seems to me that your children are struggling with um, forming their own emotional center. And if we can work together to help them build their own truth and have their own opinions and viewpoints on life, that would be beneficial for them. Now, the alienating parent is likely going to say, well, good, as long as it's, how i feel yeah. <laughs> but but it's at least a starting point yeah. where you can be somewhat non-confrontational with both parents um where you might get some buy-in from
1: the alienating parent yeah if maybe you may- if maybe if, if you make it about the kids and you keep right
0: you use so you try to as a therapist if you're seeing this in family therapy for example or if you're working with uh, a child you can try to like Bring the parents in and uh, under that guise. Like we need to work together to help the child form their own emotional center, their own opinions, their own you know viewpoints on situations, and help them encourage that through you know therapy in some way. It might not work, but you know, it's a strategy. It's, it's a it's a strategy to try to get buy in from the alienating parent. I would say yeah,
1: so. heavy stuff, but feels good. Sucks. Yeah, sucks. Um, Tough subject. I know you're going to have to scoot here soon, so why don't we do a guilty leisure? And yeah, then we'll, let's do it. What's your guilty leisure? So guilty leisure being the thing that we either feel guilty for or that we've been interested or just whatever's been on our mind these last few weeks.
0: Uh, guilty leisure, guilty leisure. Um, I've been walking a lot again, to be honest with you. like The weather's getting a little nicer, and um, my partner and I, we like to walk and we like to walk and talk, and I find that when I'm walking, I'm able to think a little more freely, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. like my legs are occupied, it happens when I run, too, mm-hmm. but, like, we've had some tough conversations, and walking has been really um fun, you know, if so I would encourage, like, if, you know, you people out there, like, especially with with hard conversations if you have the sense of going somewhere together like it's it, it's somewhat i think it's productive mm. so and i'm a big fan of walking we've walked all over town like mm-hmm. walked to dinner walked to lunch you know walked just to walk mm-hmm. you know
1: so and the flowers are blooming starting to come out sli- and
0: part i don't know if you can tell in my voice my allergies are starting to act a, a little <clears throat> i think it's mold in the air or whatever but that
1: is a byproduct of that but yeah that's temporary so yeah. how about you for me um I don't know if I mentioned this one, but I've been reading the book Dune.
0: Oh yeah, I think you said last Did time. I say Did that? you finish uh, it?
1: No, not even. It's a um, big book. It is a really big book. I've really been enjoying that. Another guilty pleasure I have is I've been thinking about, um, have you heard of the producer and rapper Jay Dilla? I think one of the teens I work with told me about this. Is it a current yeah, He died in 2006 or 7, and he was known for making tracks in the 90s and early Sounds really familiar. But but he's known for making something called Dilla Beats. And a Dilla Beat is actually an extremely, in my opinion, extremely ex- ex- um, difficult form of rhythm. Okay. And what it is, is it's the it's the space in between straight eighths, which is just like what most music is, and swinging. So, I mean, I, we'd probably need to do like a whole drum kit. I can't really do it but um, if a straight eighth uh, sound would be like And then a swung beat would Okay. That's more like jazz. A dilla beat would be somewhere in between. And he was known for doing that, for making this kind of drunken hip hop kind of sound that some drummers now are recreating. Like um, there's a great video of the Robert Glasper trio doing a cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit.
0: (laughs) In this style?
1: Well, the drummer is, and it's interesting. I was going through the comments, and some of the people are like, this drummer sucks. But What he's doing is he's intentionally making the space that is not swung or straight. And it sounds like the the instruments don't quite align, but it still gets the sense of wanting you to move your body. So I think it's really cool, and so it's also been a meme on social media, I know wow. and for in like music groups of people who talk about, um, you got to play this tune, but play it at this tempo with a dilla beat and, with a um, dilla beat. Okay. Yeah, and so it's just been something I've been trying. Maybe to I prep- saw this on TikTok. Is this popular on TikTok? I'm sure somewhere. Yeah. Everything's on TikTok, you know. Um, but it's it's really cool. And I suggest uh, I think a good example would be uh, the band Hiatus Coyote. They're okay. pretty great. They have their drummer is known for kind of going in and out of straight eighths and dilla beats and also like i said there's a version of the robert glasper trio doing um smells like it smells like teen spirit I'm have and to check that out. yeah and the the rhythm is very like there's something just a little off about this and i can't put my finger on it yeah but it's super cool so all right
0: about that version. i'll have to check that out if you can uh um hey maybe that's an idea in the future if maybe for this show we can put the links in the show notes to any of this stuff that we're talking oh. about Sure. Not that I'm going to link you to where I'm walking, but I'm saying like what you're describing, kind of cool. You could link us to yeah. where you're walking. <laughs> I wouldn't want to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everybody meet them here. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I think that'd be cool. So if you, if you want to do that, you know, I think we could gracefully put that in there. Yeah. Right? And just give people an option to click through and check that out. Because I certainly want to check that out. I'll send it to you. Yeah. And we'll post it on the show notes. That'd be awesome. So, all right. Well, I feel like we gave birth. So that has been another edition of Drinks and Shrinks. My name's Ingo Weigel.
1: I'm John Deku. And we'll see you guys next time. Later, peeps.